Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals. Brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. Formula One is the focus after a thrilling finish at the U.S. Grand Prix. Austin Business Journal Managing Editor Will Anderson connects with the man who made his dream a reality for American racing fans, Tavo Helmond, who brought F1 to Austin a decade ago. All right, Tavo, thank you so much for joining us on the Texas Business Minds podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, Will. You know, it's a nice Monday afternoon after a long, hectic week. Yeah, we're here the day after the U.S. Grand Prix, uh, Formula One Ramco U.S. Grand Prix held in Austin, of which you are the founder. It's been 10 years of racing of F1 in Austin. Give me your thoughts about the big weekend. Uh, I think it was a smashing success. You know, I think um, it's something that we can all be proud of, uh, although I'm not involved on a day-to-day basis anymore. There's no bigger pride and joy, uh, I think think for all of us and just the way that rolled off your tongue you know the f1 us grand prix in austin that just sounds sounds beautiful you know 15 years ago everyone thought i was nuts but um yeah it it was great and i think you know fortunately the weather held off too which was nice let's talk about that not the weather but everyone thinking you were nuts austin you know back in uh i I think this if i got my story right you drew the grand prix course on a napkin in in 07 something like that so 15 years ago this idea was percolating in your brain yeah you know it really uh, to be perfectly honest uh well it started kind of in the late 90s so when uh when formula one was looking for a new u.s home you know they kind of bounced around they had struggled a little bit they had been in detroit they went to uh they tried vegas in the early 80s and that was in a car park. This time they're going to do it totally different next year. But then then they went to Phoenix and that didn't work out. And when Bernie wanted to go to Indianapolis and he was asking the George family to make the upgrades to the Speedway, I said to him that I thought that, you know, is and, and as an American, we're all proud of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the Indy 500. It's a great sporting event. But I said, sure. I actually think that's probably not the right place for Formula One. Kind of like, you know, you don't play football in Yankee Stadium. You play baseball. But nonetheless, they went there and he said to me, well, where do you think? And I said, I actually think it should be in Texas. And he said, of course you do. You know, of course you're from. Texas. Yeah, you're, you're an Austin, uh, Austin original. You grew up in Texas. Yeah. And so I but but I said, no, seriously, Bernie, in all in all honesty, I mean, it's especially Austin. And he said, Tavo, stop with Austin. This was like in 99. He said, you know, that's a sleepy little college town because right. he hadn't been here. He had been here like in the late 70s, once to visit uh, with my dad. And I just told him, I said, look, it's things have changed. It's one of the coolest, hippest cities, geographically gorgeous, different from the rest of the state, hill country. And I said, but more importantly, Bernie, it's positioned perfectly between both coasts and perfectly between Canada and Central America. So it's literally, if you look at a map of this part of the world, it's like right in the smack dab middle. It's, it's crossroads. Yeah, it really is. And so, yeah, that's really how it all played out. I needed, I was still at the time racing cars. I, I had a dream that I was going to make it to Formula One. And uh, I ran out of money and talent uh, all along the path. But of course, I had spent a lot of time in my youth being around Formula One. I worked for a Formula One team when I was you know, a teenager. I worked for Bernie uh, during summers. 
uh, in my late teens, early 20s. So I was very, 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 very familiar with not only the business model, but the product and just needed to pick our moments right in the mid to you know early 2000s to be able to put the pieces together. And, and yeah, I mean, here we are 2022 and it's 10-year anniversary, pretty remarkable. Mid-2000s, and I got here in, uh, in 2001, um, so I know a little bit of what I speak. Mid-2000s, Austin had grown a lot. It was emerging as a tech hub. Um, it, it always kind of had that reputation, but Dell was flourishing. South by Southwest had been around for uh, a decade or two. I mean, expand on what you were saying. What did you see? I mean, yeah. that's not the town it is has become. Um, no, yeah. no, that's right. So, you know, a lot of the things that F1 had done. So Bernie, Bernie made a very critical decision kind of in the late 80s, early 90s that he was going to head to the desert or head east. And and part of that was because if you know, the business model back then was more very elitist you know, exclusatory for F1. Yeah. For F1. Yeah. I mean, they just, it, he, it was part of his business model was to create this, this aura and really maybe outprice things. And so he went to the desert where these sovereign wealth nations would pay whatever it was for a race to come to put, kind of put them on the map. And that lifted artificially in a way, the valuation of everybody else. And it made it difficult, right? So in one sense, it was great. In another sense, it made it a little bit harder. But I also knew that Austin had all the characteristics that play well with big time global events, right? I mean, you've got a good hospitality sector, um, the the, the vibrant, you know, entertainment so that someone can come and make it more of a three, four, five, six day trip as opposed to just coming in and out for a football game, right? Um, You don't come for five days for that. You just come overnight. And so I knew that that would happen connectivity wise. It made sense. The airport, if you remember at that time, was slowly starting to expand. And I knew I had talked to the British Airlines people when we made the announcement. I knew that that was going to trigger the possibility of there being a direct flight to London. And so it just seemed to me like that a lot of, you know, as you when you like when you walk through a house, right, you may it may not be perfect, but you go, does it have the right bones? Does it have good bones? And and Austin, I felt like I've always been very, very biased. I mean, if you look back at my my racing career on my overhauls when I was a young driver or on the side of the car, I always put visit Texas. You know, I've always felt like that, you know, and I'm I'm, I'm a constant, you know, the, the governor, uh, the comptroller, uh, the previous comptroller, Strayhorn. I mean, everyone teased me that I'm like a walking advertisement for Austin, Texas. And uh, of course, proud of Austin. And I thought it would be a big fit. It did. It did require some vision on on F1's part, because at the time, Austin didn't roll off the tongue like, you know, Montreal or Monaco or, you know, something like that. But I think now everyone every, every time that I'm around the F1 folks, whether it's here at the U.S. Grand Prix or any of the other ones, they all just say, man, we just love Austin. Yeah, it's interesting that vision you talk about because uh, it really did. It, Austin had good bones, I guess, to use your own analogy, to, to see what it would become. Yeah. Um, now it's a global tech haven. It's a major outpost for, for many uh, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, or, or they've moved their headquarters here. Um, so, yeah, it's a, a really a testament to a vision, I think is a good way to put it. And uh, you were nice enough to host me at, uh, at the Grand Prix on Friday. And um it's a great time. Got to meet some very uh, interesting folks, very friendly. And uh, a lot of them talked about the vision it required. 
Another thing that I find really fascinating is the the levers that needed to be pulled to accomplish this. And I think that would be really interesting to uh, listeners to know for for challenges, you know, big projects they might tackle in, in their careers. Um, could you talk about what it was like to, you know, get the state of Texas to change its major events reimbursement program to accommodate F1 and to get the buy-in from uh, Bernie, as you're talking about, Bernie Ecclestone, F1's then then boss, and then and to get the financing. Um, there was a lot of different things that if you hadn't nailed down, just one of them, losing one of them could have cost the Grand Prix. No, that's right. It was pretty much like a three-legged stool. You know, you needed to have the product, the content. So uh, that would be the F1 side. Uh, you needed to have the government, right, um, involved. And then three, you needed to have investors to make the three things. Now, the question really became at one point early on in the thought process, and this is again, mid 2000s. And then it came up again, right after we you know, announced it officially, even though I had basically had, had a handshake deal with Bernie in 2007, my wife and I went to the Belgian Grand Prix uh, and, and we can get into that a little bit later, but that it was really September of 2007 that we agreed to do, you know, that he would only renew the Indianapolis by a year. So they were towards the end of their seven year deal. He added a year to it. Um, we agreed to it. And then I started working on, as you said, uh, adding at the time, it was called the major events trust fund instead of the major events reimbursement program. And, you know, started working on the legislation to add to include Formula One. But yeah, it, what was interesting at the time, Will, is that, that it's like, which one came first? You know, right. you, need, you needed one leg for the other leg to come and you needed two of the legs for the other leg to come. And it was like a balancing act of which one would come first. And they were all waiting for the other one to come. Um, you know, at, at one point, we almost I almost thought about doing just a street race. Um, and, and again, almost decided to do it right after we announced it. If, uh, you know, I guess I had this track, my dream track laid out on a, on a napkin. Um, uh, in 2010, uh, a, a motorcycle racer helped me with a couple of the corners, but I had already hired Tilkey in 2008. We were uh, going to several locations in Austin um, and around the toll road. We knew we wanted it close to the airport. But then the question became, okay, would it be actually make more sense to do a street race where you have a higher CapEx, you know, on an annual ongoing basis, but then of course you don't have to spend 150 to $300 million building a, an F1 track. So there was a yin and yang. I mean, I of course wanted for their, my dream track to be built. I mean, I already had the name, you know, in my head, I had most of the, the, the track layout done. And, and of course, I'm really proud that what ended up getting built is kind of 80, 85% accurate to my original crazy drawing at, at, at a barbecue joint that we're all familiar with in Driftwood. <laughs> That's where it was done. So, uh, so yeah, but I think the proof in the pudding now is that 10 years later, the right thing was done. We were able to put the right investment group at the time together and, you know, now everyone's happy. I mean, there's, of course, there were some teething problems, but but every everything's turned out in, in a really good way that I think it's something that the city and the state are really proud of. It, it is a level of vision that is kind of staggering to think about the the empty field out there in, uh, I guess it's technically Elroy, not, not Del Valley. Um, oh, you're right. You're right. It's, it's funny that that came up on Friday. Uh, 
I know that Mario Andretti, you know, gave the official christening uh, when when it was paved, but I actually did the first three different laps. One when it was literally just the field. I mean, with still trees and woods and everything. It took Christian uh, Epp and I. 51 minutes, I think, to actually do where we had staked it out because <laughs> uh, we couldn't go at some points. You couldn't even go more than like two miles an hour because there was a boulder in the way. And then uh, David Coulthard and I, uh, he came and did a demo when it was finally first dirt all the way around. So we did the first lap there. And then the very first lap officially of the inaugural U.S. Grand Prix I did with Charlie Whiting and Bernie Ecclestone very early in the morning. So, so yeah. Um, yeah, it was crazy at the time. And, and, but it's just, it's a wonderful thing looking back now. So you had been there from the beginning, but as you alluded to, to be clear, you are not an owner of circuit of the Americas. Um, right. There were disagreements, lawsuits that got publicized and not a court settlement in, uh, in 2012, I believe. Um, yeah. So the final settlement was uh, uh, after the second Grand Prix in 2013. But yes, I'm, I'm no longer uh, have any ownership in, in circuit of the Americas. Um, but I'm still equally proud of it and I promote it every step of the way. I think, you know, it's one of the three to five best, you know, racetracks anywhere in the world. And uh, it's something that everyone, not only in Texas and in Austin, but in the United States and motorsports fan around the world should be proud of. I've heard many similar sentiments from people out of the track, people in racing. You know, you've been called, uh, Forbes called you uh, F1's billion dollar man and called North America's F1 hero. You kind of originated this idea of bringing F1 back uh, to, to your hometown, to Austin of all places. You've done a lot of things and I've looked at your your CV and seen all the things that you've helped start or contributed to, including a uh, anti-drunk driving campaign that I read about in the 90s. Um, so you've done a lot, but what does your business card say? Like, what's your, what's your, what's your, yeah. what's yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, you know, my business card doesn't have have any title. It just has my name and an email and a mailing address. And, and you'll love this. I, I, I even though I have very fancy uh, email addresses with some of you know my my company's names, the one I personally use is my Yahoo, and I get teased a lot about that. About how, <laughs> how that's not very sophisticated. So my my assistant is the one that reads all the work related ones. And I'm the one that reads actually my Yahoo. But, um, you know, look, I think that I'm at a place now. So Formula One has been my life. Uh, racing has been my life. Most of the people that are still that, that transferred on once Liberty Media bought, you know, uh, a lot of the old guard had left, but a lot of the, a lot of it stayed. And so these are people that I've known 40, 50 years. I mean, literally since I was a little boy and they're friends. Um uh, you know, it's pretty well documented that after after the first or second year after I got bought out here in Austin, I went and started the Mexican Grand Prix as well. Yes. Um, and and so both of them are, you know, they're dear to me because my father had run the Mexican Grand Prix in the 80s. And but it's like having two children. Which one are you proud of more? You're proud of both of them equally. I think I'll always be more partial to Austin because it really was my baby just from starting in my head. And in Mexico, all we did is revive a Grand Prix that had been gone for, for 20 uh, something years. And of course I'm asked, I consult a lot. I mean, I, I gave Miami some advice 
Uh, I gave F1 advice. Uh, you know, I've, I've been helping them a little bit with Vegas as well. I'm involved with, as you know, Will, you and I talked about it. I mean, I helped start and put together the South by Southwest deal for Sydney that they're going to do uh, next October. And, you know, I have, of course, no ownership and I'm not running it. But of course, I'm helping Colin and Jeff, the guys that are that are doing it down there. Uh, and Hugh uh, Forrest and I have, have been friends since well, we were on the same swim team when I was, you know, six years old. Uh, <laughs> so I've known Hugh for 50 years. And I'm in a place now where fortunately I've done okay. Uh, you know, I've done well and I, I don't really need per se a job. So I invest in some things. I, I tackled nice projects that are interesting. I've been, you know, advising Logan Sargent, who, you know, finally got a big shout out this weekend. That, that was big. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm not an F1 aficionado by any stretch, but I was around it when I was uh, uh, meeting with you. And uh, Logan Sargent getting, may, might have the chance to race as an F1, uh, one of the very few Americans to do it uh, next year. Yeah, that's right. I started following Logan when he was about 14 and he was kart racing uh, in Europe by himself over there at such an early age. And he's a great kid and he's got generational pace for a single lap. I think he's probably the most talented young American since Jeff Gordon. And if he can just get the right breaks at the right time and and maybe use the, you know, if he can get the super license points, which he means he needs to finish in the top six in Abu Dhabi, um, but he's going to do FP1 in Mexico and FP1 in Abu Dhabi. So he'll, he'll get a couple of extra points there. He'll have the Williams ride and that, although it's not a front running car, it's, you know, you got to have a seat at the table and do a good job. And uh, he, he certainly deserves it. And it's, it's the right thing for the sport in America. And he's just a really good kid. And he spent some time, a lot of time with us yesterday in our suite. And he's just a lovely boy. So yeah, fans of uh, Drive to Survive, the, the Netflix show about Formula One, keep your eyes on, on Logan Sargent, the sleeper for uh, could be driving next year in Formula One as an American. Very cool. Tabo Hillman joining us. In our next segment, he shares how his struggles led to his success when Texas Business Minds continues. How did Texas Mutual Insurance Company make over 67,000 business owners smile? By sending $330 million in dividends to our workers' comp policyholders. See how we can make your business safer, stronger, and better at texasmutual.com better. Based on everything you just said, I wonder, I mean, you, you have touched so many things, been involved in so much, been, been kind of a vision guy and an idea guy. What attribute do you think has helped you the most in this uh, kind of untraditional career? You know, I think that because I struggled so, so much as a young, starving race car driver and, and promoter, I always tried to be a sponge when I was around Bernie growing up, you know, I, I tried to see the things that I thought he did better than anyone else in the world. And then maybe paid attention to some of the things that I think he, you know, left room for improvement on the table, but just had no interest in changing his ways. I think that Formula One is in a great place now with, I think there are eras for everything. And, and I just think that you have to be able to evolve. I've always been a really big team builder and really, I mean, I think you saw that. And, you know, Friday that I got surprised with people that I had worked with over the years from all facets. I mean, whether it be engineers or uh, ex engine builders or F1 drivers or F1 personnel or FIA personnel, they were surprising me 
because they were aware of it being the 10th year anniversary. And so to me, that was validation that if you treat everyone, you know, with respect and try to be a team player, that good things will happen. And so to, but to my point about Formula One, to say something about Liberty Media, the reason I think that it's, it's really a, a perfect timing for them is that, you know, that's an American company that is in the entertainment business somewhat. They own pieces of, you know, Sirius Radio, they own the Atlanta Braves, they own parts of Live Nation. But they saw that so many of the Grand Prix around the world were really, you know, Formula One doesn't have a bunch of promoters. They right. have 23 or 24 Grand Prix. Um, but but a lot of most of them are, are, are just run by operators, you know, track operators or facility operators. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But there is a difference of having someone really who is a promoter. Um, you know, one of the things that they're doing is we know in-house with Las Vegas is, you know, really the ones that are going to operationally run it commercially are C3, who we're all familiar here and we're all friends with the three Charlies. Um, you know, I grew up next door to Attell my whole life as well. So, you know, they may not know a lot about F1, but they're going to learn it really quickly and they're going to get they're going to get up to speed. And and I think that what Liberty did is they opened up. They saw the need for helping these promoters. Right. And they they. they so-called promoters. A lot of them are not. So they opened it up so it's more accessible. The marketing, yes, the drive to survive, but it's not just one thing. It's an accumulative effect, you know, and the tracks that were perhaps maybe struggling a little bit in the last couple of years are really starting to flourish. And I just think that everyone's riding, you know, a, a huge wave of success, you know, with Formula One. Yeah, I think the, as you mentioned, I think drive to survive is more symptomatic of the growth of the sport in America. And next year we'll have three Grand Prix, three, three races in the States. I mean, what, it seems like there's been so much change, so much growth of F1 here in America. What do you see in, in 10 years for F1? I mean, do you, you think know, it could be a predominant motorsport in this country? I do. You know, I think three Grand Prix is probably where they, they should probably leave it at in, in the United States. You know, the three locations are so different. The events are so different. Miami gives that kind of South Beach vibe. Austin, of course, is, you know, the coolest city in the United States. And we've got the best racetrack. And now it's got a history and a tradition. And as we all know, Vegas is Vegas. And Liberty's really putting their money where their mouth is. You know, they're going to invest so heavily in it and really make it an anchor thing. The nice thing about Las Vegas is, as we all know, is that it's really a market that you can't cannibalize because it's a new 200,000 people every three days. So uh, you can actually have the Super Bowl and the World Series and back-to-back weekends there because it's a new audience. And so it, I do think that that is the case. I, I think that NASCAR will always, and I say this with you know deep affection and love, so I, I raced stock cars at, at one Great. time. That's right. Had, old, yeah. yeah, and I had a, have a lot of good friends there. I think their product is always, it's always going to be appealing and it's always going to be strong. Clearly, Formula One is the largest and most popular form of motorsport anywhere in the you know globally, and I think it's growing by leaps and bounds. And I think in ten years, like all sport will, though, if you look at coming out of post pandemic, everything is off the charts right now. It's not just Formula One. Uh, at the NFL is uh, you look at EPL and European soccer. I mean, it's just it's unprecedented, and it'll be interesting to see how Qatar, the World Cup, does. Um, this year, you know, since there was a dip, even though we had had this steady rise in soccer following in the United States, 
when the men's national team didn't make the World Cup, viewership was down 45%. And I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see if it's at an all-time high again this year. I think it will be. I think it'll just be through the roof. So, um, yeah. And it's interesting to think, to your point, just how interconnected Austin is now with the global economy, with the global sporting picture. And I think you and your colleagues at Formula One either saw that coming or have helped it in a way. I don't know what the right way to put it is, but uh, certainly you can't separate Austin's global reputation from uh, F1 and and the U.S. Grand Prix out there. So quite remarkable. No, that's true. And, you know, someone that deserves some credit that, that, that she hasn't gotten much credit is then Comptroller Combs, Susan Combs, was really my champion uh, with me. We worked hand in hand starting all the way in 2007, all the way through 2009 and 10. She understood my vision. She understood her husband was a is a motorsports fan and participated in it. So she actually understood what, what we were getting at and the economic engine that this would bring. And, um, and so a, a lot of the heavy lifting, I mean, from having, you know, a 10 year contract to already having the financial commitment to already having the METF commitment from the government, all that was already in place before we even announced a race in Austin. And so that she deserves a lot of credit. Uh, I can't tell you the hundreds of times that we met and that's not an exaggeration. And so I really hope that as I call her Big Sue, I hope that Big Sue was on her ranch somewhere in South Texas uh, yesterday with a, an adult beverage uh, with a big old smile on her face. I love that. Shouting out the comptroller. They don't, they don't get enough love. And that's a great point. That's a great point to uh, to make. It's, I mean, I know that you're credited with the vision, but there's a whole team of people. I met many of them on Friday from the engineers at Tilkey to, uh, to, to all sorts of folks that had to come together to create this. So I, I imagine you're proud as well of the work y'all were able to accomplish. And even, you know, my ex-partners, they should be proud as well. And they're managing. Some of them are still still involved and they're doing a great job. And I think everyone, you know, th- this isn't easy. Uh, as I shared with you, Will, you know, I've, I've been offered, you know, several, you know, roles within official roles within Formula One ecosystem. And it's just it's a brutal grind. And I just can't do it. You know, I can't go to 23 Grand Prix. I don't want to, you know, be on an airplane 250 days of the year, um, whether it be on the team side or the management side. Putting Austin and Mexico together really took a ton out of me. And I missed a lot of my eldest daughter, who's now, of course, grown up. It's rough. Everyone looks from the outside that looks ritzy and glamorous. And uh, but it's it's a tough road. And for the track operators, as I say, my ex-partners who are still involved, they don't have an easy gig. You know, it looks great, you know, for three days of the year, but that is one tough gig to do year round. So everyone in the whole ecosystem, it takes a certain type of person with a certain level of, you know, passion and commitment in in their area. So um, I know it looks great on TV on Sundays, but, you know, most most of the time, 90% of the time, it's just a grind. Well put. Thank you for raising the curtain and showing us what it looks like uh, for, for your role in that. So, Tabo, thank you so much for joining us on Texas Business Minds. It was a pleasure, and uh, especially after the big Grand Prix weekend. And uh, hope you have fun in, in Mexico. I assume you're going to the, the Grand Prix. That's right. Just a couple days break, and we do another one next week. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure. Take care. Thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds. 
presented by the Texas Business Journals and brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. Texas.